0: Welcome. Are y'all here? (laughs) Good to see you here. Glad to have you here with us tonight. Glad to have those of you who are joining with us online instead of watching the game <laughs> online, at least for right now. Or maybe you're doing that dually <laughs> and watching both, watching both the service and the game at the same time. I don't have that capability right here to do that, so uh, I won't be doing that. But uh, let me just welcome you there to Facebook, to YouTube, uh, to Twitter. That'd be kind of funny if I did that, wouldn't it? Uh, and then... And then also our phone live streaming, those who are on our phone live streaming, thank you all for joining us there on YouTube, Facebook. Follow us there, subscribe to us on YouTube, click the notification bell. That way you'll get the services every time they go live. Uh, If you call the the, uh, phone live streaming number, it's an easy thing there to do to set up to that it'll automatically call you once you call in that first time. So if you need that number, give us a call at the church office. We'll be glad to give that to you. Also, if you will, go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. <clears throat> it's under the info tab there. You can download this week's worship bulletin It also has the upcoming activities for the week and for the next couple of weeks uh, Any important things there that we want to make sure you know about and aware about so be sure to get one of those get it Downloaded get one in person uh, and then also our children's worship bulletins if you need those in person uh, There are some in the windowsill over here. Uh, these go along with this morning's uh, Service uh, that we did and so uh, I'm not sure if it has any of tonight's but it's right there close to the same Uh, Passage, But I encourage you to get those. Uh, If you're in person, download those under the Info tab there uh, also. And you can also download the the prayer list. You see I chicken scratch on mine making other notes. So be sure to get yours downloaded. Uh, Pray through it throughout the week. It's just a great resource that we have to be reminded of all those individuals who we need to be praying for. And then also while you're there on our church website at HighlandBaptistChurch.com, go to the far right hand side click the give online tab you can do your online giving there uh, you can do uh, designated giving you can do recurring giving uh, you could do a one-time gift so i encourage you to take the time to do that if you want to do that in person uh, there are envelopes in the pews in front of you at the back of the walls and then also you can place that in the offering plates down here at the front so brother mike if you'll come and lead us in our worship hymn.
1: George Beverly Shea has sung. I've heard him sing it many times with the Billy Graham crusades. I'd rather have Jesus. So, Tommy, we're going to do all three. And if y'all want to stand, you can. If you want to sit, you can. Miss Pat? Have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail pierced hands than to be. Way. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than man applause, I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame, I'd rather be true to his hope. domain, or be held in way I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. He's fairer than lilies of bread bloom is sweeter than honey out of the comb he's all that my hunger spirit needs I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be Domain or be held in a senseless way. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world of.
0: Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 19, as we continue with the life of Jesus. I am incorporating it a little bit there in our uh, events that are going on tonight uh, with the, the big game. And so Luke 19, verse 1 through verse 10, I've entitled this message tonight, uh, The Greatest Passion. The Greatest Passion, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful story here uh, of a gentleman by the name of Zacchaeus. Uh, even when we're little kids, we learn about Zacchaeus, uh, who was a short little man that climbed up in the sycamore tree, and so you remember that song. Uh, that probably brings back the memories there for that. Well, we're going to begin with verse 1 uh, down through verse 4 as we look at our message tonight, The Greatest Passion. So let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for the truths that we're going to learn tonight. I pray that your spirit will will bless this message, that you will fill us, Lord, and help us to hear you speaking to our hearts, Lord, that if, if we don't have that greatest passion in our hearts to love you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself, then I pray we would get those things settled tonight. But if we do, Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves in the center of your will, doing all that you would have us to do. Do where you would have us to do it. And Father, where we find ourselves being disobedient, where we have sinned against you, Lord, may we be convicted of our sin also through this passage that we might rekindle that greatest passion in our hearts and in our lives too. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, I believe each one of us within us uh, separately and all of us corporately, uh, there's the God-given potential for greatness. Several decades ago, uh, Newsweek Magazine uh, ran an article entitled, Advice to a Bored Young Man. Uh, It it said this, it was good counsel for all of us, whether we're male or female, uh, young or old, and here's what it said. It said, died age 20, buried age 60 the sad epitaph of too many Americans. It said, mummification sets in on too many young men at an age when they should be ripping the world wide open. For example, many people reading this page, and this was in the printed uh, magazine there of uh, Newsweek, it said many who are reading this page are doing so with the aid of bifocals. Uh, Who was the inventor? Benjamin Franklin at age 79 at that. So don't think God's done with you yet. Uh, The presses, they went on to say in this article, that printed the page were powered by electricity. One of the first harnessers was Benjamin Franklin at the age of 40. Some, he said, are reading this on the campus of one of the Ivy League universities. Uh, Who was the founder? Benjamin Franklin, age 45. Others, he said, it said in the article, are reading this in a library. Who founded the first library in America? Benjamin Franklin, age 25. Some got their copy through the U.S. Mail. Who was its father? Benjamin Franklin, at age 31. Now think fire. Who started the fire department? Who invented the lightning rod? Who designed the heating stove that some people still use in some places uh, today, the wood burning stove? Uh, Benjamin Franklin did. He did that at age 31 age 43, and age 36. wit, conversationalist, economist, philosopher, diplomat, printer, publisher, linguist, spoke and wrote five languages. He was an advocate of paratroopers from balloons a century before the airplane was ever invented. Did you know that? And then we've had our incidents with balloons this past week. And he, he had exactly... Uh, Well, all of that, it said, until he was the age of 84. But here's the kicker he had exactly two years of formal schooling. Two years of formal schooling. It's a good bet that most of us, it said in the article, have more sheer knowledge than Franklin ever had when he was your age. Perhaps, it said in the article, you think there's no use trying of thinking, uh, to think of anything new, that everything's been done wrong. The simple agrarian America of Franklin's day didn't begin to need the answers we need today. Go do something about it. It said Benjamin Franklin is an illustration of the fact that there's potential for greatness in all of us, but greatness isn't given, it's earned. And you think about all those things that Benjamin Franklin did uh, in his life up through age 84 there. And and understand greatness is not a matter of luck. It's not a matter of chance. It's not a matter of fate. There really are some steps that anybody can take uh, to be all they can be and to be the best that they can be, uh, which is really what greatness is all about. Uh, I heard a story about two men who were talking about success, and one said, do you know what the secret of success is? And the other one said, well, no, what is it? He said, well, I can't tell you. He said, why not? He said, because it's a secret. Some of us think that, that it's a secret. You can't know uh, how to be great in this world uh, in Christ. And, and there are, those some secrets for success. Uh, we'll call them the fantastic four, if you will, uh, that will enable and ensure greatness for anyone who will try them. And these secrets apply both to an individual as well as to groups or an institution. Uh, so if you apply each one of these to us individually or you apply them to us corporately, first of all, you uh, you want to you want first the first thing you want is uh that's passion uh second you have to know it that's mission third uh, you have to see it that's vision and fourth you have to do it that sacrifice and so those are the four steps to greatness to to have passion to have a mission to have vision to have sacrifice uh to want it to know it to see it and to do it and those are the four steps to greatness but it all begins with passion now you can know your mission you can know your vision you can prepare for sacrifice but if there is no passion to make that vision a reality and to accomplish that mission and to pay the sacrifice greatness will never happen so i'm reminded here of the unknown poet who wrote these words i spent a fortune." on a trampoline, a stationary bike, and a rowing machine, complete with gadgets to read my pulse, gadgets to prove my progress results, and others to show the miles I've charted, but they left off the gadget to get me started and so often that's true how do you get started you need that motivation to get started well I'll never forget the story of a woman uh, who was working behind the cosmetics counter in a large department store she's waiting on some customers when this hurried anxious lady rushed up to her and said do you still have Elizabeth Taylor's passion well with quick wit she looked at the lady and she said well if I did you think I'd be working here (laughs) she's talking about a, a perfume there we need passion if we're going to achieve greatness and so together and individually we need passion we need that desire we need that drive that is directed not by worldly goals but by the right biblical goals and given for given to us uh, by god luke 19 records here for us this story uh, of, of this kind of passion. So in this story, you're going to see the fire of passion that we ought to have burning in our own hearts, even today, in, 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 that is burning in the heart of Jesus Christ. So here's the first thing I want you to see from this passage this, this night, is, is the passion to see, the passion to see. So notice verse 1 through verse 4 uh, again. Let's read those verses, if you will, one more time. So he entered Jericho. Who is he? That's Jesus. He was passing through. We talked about this this morning, uh, that there's the two different Jerichos. There's the ancient Jericho, and there's the new Jericho uh, that was built by Herod that was kind of a a winter palace kind of area over by the Dead Sea. It was in that warmer climate uh, there, and so it was a place for them to get away during the the winter times uh, there. So it's on that part of Israel. It's on the the western section there of Israel, closer over uh, to the Dead Sea. So he's in, on his way into Jericho here. He passes through, and behold, a man named Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. I mean, he was filthy rich. Uh, he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he couldn't because he was a small in stature, so he ran on ahead, climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So get the picture here. The story takes place in Jericho. Uh, not only is it over by the Dead Sea, it's about 17 miles northeast, if you will, if I'm pointing the right direction for you northeast of Jerusalem. Uh, it was a border city. It's over close to, to Jordan. Uh, if you go across the Jordan River, then you're into the nation of, of Jordan there. And so it's a border city. It's set on an international crossroads. Uh, this was a place where the northern area of Galilee, uh, the southern areas that went toward Egypt, uh, the eastern and the western highway routes, all those come together there. It had a custom station. Uh, where taxes were collected. It was one of the richest cities in all of Palestine. One of the interesting things about it today is it is Palestinian-controlled. It's not Israeli-controlled. And so uh, if you ever go there on a, on a trip, on a tour uh, to see Israel, it depends on how things are going with the Palestinians, whether you actually will get to go in to Jericho uh, or not. And so it's it's one of the richest cities in Palestine. It's in the most fertile area uh, of Judea. You go to that area and you'll see all kinds of irrigation that's going on. Uh, you'll see things that are growing in a desert climate that you wouldn't imagine would be growing in a desert climate. And so it's, it's a fertile area there of Judea. And, and so being a chief tax collector meant you had struck the mother load, if you will, if you were the tax collector. Zacchaeus was a man who was, he was raking in the money hand over fist. Uh, he was the chief thief, if you will, of the IRS. Uh, he was hated, and he was despised by the Jews, but not only the Jews, by the Gentiles alike. The only time Jesus ever invited himself into somebody's house was into the home of a tax collector now this was a class of people that were unpopular quite frankly in any age but especially in the days of jesus they collected taxes on a commission basis And what they were known to do was kind of like what we would say today, you put your thumb on the scale, that's kind of what they would do. Uh, They would overcharge uh, the individuals who they were taxing uh, as they were uh, collecting their their money so they could line their own pockets with the excess profit. So they would collect what Rome was requiring, but they'd collect more on the top for themselves. So most Jews viewed them as traitors. Uh, as well as thieves because they were not only stealing, but they were serving the hated Roman Empire. Uh, A tax collector was seen as being on the same level as a robber or as a murderer or a reprobate. Jewish courts considered a tax collector's evidence as invalid. They wouldn't even take his evidence into into, uh, it being admitted into the court case there uh, because they they just were known to be liars. Uh, And so they never would take their evidence. And so his money even wouldn't be accepted as gifts to the poor because they assumed it was stolen or that it belonged to somebody else. And so Zacchaeus is that kind of man. Zacchaeus was like the man uh, who applied to the Lonely Hearts Club and he got an application back in the mail that said, we're not that lonely. (laughs) And so... He was a social outcast. He was a cultural misfit who who couldn't get a date with a calendar. Zacchaeus had everything that this world had to offer. But here's a point I want you to take home with you tonight. I wonder if the stuff we have is robbing us of the life we want. Is the stuff we have robbing us of the life we want? Notice something was happening in Jericho that day that gave him a renewed passion. Jesus was coming to town. Now at that time frame, uh, Jesus' fame and Jesus' name had been spread all across Palestine. The man uh, who could raise the dead, the one who could walk on the water, the one who could steal a storm, who could feed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch uh, was coming to Jericho. And that's the message that, the, that we learned this morning from blind Bartimaeus. He knew who Jesus was because he had heard the stories. He hadn't seen Jesus do any of those things, but he had heard. Well, here was, here was uh, Zacchaeus who had heard those things and maybe even seen some things that Jesus had done. And so the streets are jam-packed. The front seats are gone. It was a complete sellout with standing room only. The only seats left, were the bleacher seats up in the trees. And so compounding the problem, verse 3 tells us there that he was small in stature. He was small in stature. That means that he was probably under five feet tall. That's kind of short. My grandmother was four feet nine. Uh, She stood about this tall uh, up against us, but she was spunky and she was tough and she could take us boys down anytime she needed to. So never underestimate her size. And never maybe underestimate Zacchaeus' size, but he's under about five feet tall. But notice here, he has a passion to see Jesus. He has such a passion that he runs ahead of the rest of the crowd. He knows where he's going. He remembers there's a tree up here down the street that Jesus is going down. If he can get to that street before somebody else gets to that tree, he can get up in that tree and he can be able to see Jesus over the rest of the crowd. Otherwise they're going to crowd Jesus out like they have been down every street that he's seen. And so he's got this passion to see Jesus. Jesus, So understand here uh, about Zacchaeus, he ran ahead to this sycamore tree. Now in the Middle East, it was considered undignified and even obscene for a man especially of his financial stature to to run in public anywhere, much less to run to go climb a tree. I mean, uh, did you go climb a tree this week, Mike? Any of you adults go climb a tree this week? But who climbs trees? Our kids do. The the shorter ones, they want to climb the trees. I remember we used to climb uh, the trees at my grandmother's all the time. And we'd go way up in those trees. I look at them now and I'm like, how in the world did we go up so high in those trees? I'd never let my own kids (laughs) go up that high (laughs) into those trees. But here was Zacchaeus, and and it would have been uh, out of character for a man. It would have been undignified. It would have been obscene for this man of his financial stature to run anywhere, much less to climb up a tree. But Zacchaeus didn't care. He didn't care what anybody thought. This small man had a passion to see the master. But I want you to see why he had this passion. I believe he had this passion for Jesus because he had heard of the passion of Jesus. You see, uh, there is a a very revealing statement here that's being made about Jesus himself uh, that he tells us about. If you look over in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 34, he said, The Son of Man, speaking about himself, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what they said of Jesus now nobody who was anybody was a friend of tax collectors and sinners or at least if you were a friend of a tax collector or somebody who was a known sinner you didn't admit it to anybody you didn't want anybody to know it but Jesus did it wasn't his power that impressed Zacchaeus it was his passion that he cared about people like him so understand this. That the more that a lost person, the more that a sinner knows uh, those who are true believers, that, that true believers love them, the more open they are to, 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 to loving the Savior themselves. Here's this man who had a passion for Jesus because he had heard of the passion of Jesus. He had a passion to see. And so we need to do everything we can as a church, as individual Christians, to make sure that we inflame any passion uh, we ever have, uh, that we ever see in anyone who who even desires just to see Jesus. That we need to make sure we have that kind of passion, that we want to see Jesus. Notice secondly, the passion to save. Not only the passion to see, but the passion to save. So look at verse 5 and verse 6. So verse 5 and verse 6 begins and says, And when Jesus came to the place, to the place where the sycamore tree was, he looked up, and notice some important things here. Pay attention to the scriptures really close. He said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. So get the picture here. What happens astonishes the crowd because nobody's going to call a tax collector down out of a tree and come down because I'm going to your house today. But Jesus does. Jesus calls him down out of this tree. So it probably astonished the crowd. It probably startled Zacchaeus himself, maybe even almost falling out of the tree. It's interesting here as you look at the text, Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name and had never even met him. Even in that little fact, you see the passion of Jesus. He knows you by name. He knew Zacchaeus even though Zacchaeus had never met him. He knew who he was. And he doesn't just call up to him and say, hey, you come down out of that tree because I'm going to your house today. He says, Zacchaeus. When somebody calls you by name, that signifies an endearing relationship. Now, if it's your mom who's calling you, she's going to call you by your first, middle, and last name if you're in trouble. So you know that. You know what that means. But it's a relationship there. Well, when, when you call your children by their name, rather than say, hey, you, come over here. It shows that endearing relationship that we have here, and it shows that passion here in this text that Jesus had for Zacchaeus, that he cared enough about Zacchaeus to know his name. And so you see it appears as if Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, but really Jesus was actually the one who first saw Zacchaeus. You're going to see in the moment here that Zacchaeus was caught before he was sought. They came together that day for two totally different reasons. Zacchaeus had a passion to see Jesus, but Jesus had a passion to see Zacchaeus. The Lord Jesus has a way of checking people in who are only interested in checking him out. Many years ago, there was a world-famous infidel and atheist by the name of Robert Ingersoll. Uh, He was talking to a friend of his one time who was also an atheist, and they got on the subject of Jesus Christ, and this man uh, said, Robert Ingersoll, he said, Jesus is a very fascinating man, and I believe that someone could write a novel about him uh, that would be a bestseller. And Ingersoll thought about it for a moment and said, I believe you're right. And he said, I believe you're the man to write it. He said, why don't you write a novel about Jesus and, and, and tear down this myth about his being the divine son of God and, and at the same time you can advance the case of, of atheism. Why don't you write a novel and show Jesus was just a man like anybody else? Well, this guy, uh, took, he, he took Ingersoll's advice. He began to do some research to write this novel. But the more he studied the life of Jesus, the more he was impressed with the person of Jesus. And this man, he finally came back to Ingersoll to tell him that after much investigation, he was convinced that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he had given his life to him. This man, he, didn't, he, he did go on to write that novel. His name was Lou Wallace, and the name of that novel was Ben-Hur. Interesting fact. You see, all Zacchaeus wanted was to catch a glimpse of Jesus. But instead, he receives the grace of Jesus. All of a sudden, I believe two things happen to Zacchaeus that has to happen in in, in order for anyone to be saved. First of all, he realized that he was a great sinner, but then he also realized that Jesus was a great Savior and his heart was changed. In fact, the change was so deep that it reaches all the way down to his pocketbook. Notice what happens in verse 8. We'll come back to verse 7 in a moment. So verse 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, so he comes down out of the tree, he stands and he says to the Lord, "Behold, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it. Fourfold. So, the Old Testament, according to Numbers chapter five, verse seven, if a thief voluntarily confessed that he had stolen something, he only had to restore what he had stolen plus twenty cent, twenty uh, percent uh, above that. But Zacchaeus goes well beyond that, and he says, I'm not only going to pay back what I stole, but I'm going to pay back in addition to that uh, the other 300% of interest, which is 15 times more than what the law required. Now, there's only one way to explain what happened there. He had a new passion. He was changed from the inside out. Now, do you see in verse 8 there how Zacchaeus refers to Jesus? Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. He calls him Lord. You see, first he wanted to see the man, but now he wants to serve Christ the Lord. His passion has totally changed. Where his passion before was all about, give me, give me, give me, I'm going to skim off the top. I want money, I want things, I want what this world has to offer. Now his whole life, Has been changed. That's what happens when you come to Christ. Your life changes from the inside out and you become a different person in Christ Jesus. His passion has totally changed. All his life, he wanted to get, but now he wants to give. You see, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ had resulted in a passionate response to Jesus Christ. So that's why the Lord says this in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. So we see here uh, with with Zacchaeus, notice uh, that's why Jesus said that, because uh, it was giving evidence of the transformation that happened in him. The works didn't save him. Giving the extra back to people that he had defrauded is not what saved him. It was evidence of the transformation in his own heart and in his own life. And so understand, that's why the Lord said that. Notice Jesus didn't come to eat supper. Jesus came to bring salvation. Jesus had a passion. And if you're a sinner, if you're lost, he has a passion to save you. If you're a saint, if you're a believer, he has a passion to strengthen you so that you might be all that he wants you to be so that through you others might be saved. Thirdly, I want you to see the passion to seek. Not only the passion to see and the passion to save, but the passion to seek. Go back to verse 7. In verse 7 it says, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. So what did they see? They saw Jesus look up at Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree for I'm going to your house today. They thought, oh my gosh. Jesus doesn't know who this man is. He doesn't know he's a tax collector. They don't know what a scoundrel this man is, how he's defrauded us, how he has hurt us. Let me warn you about about having passion. If you have passion, you're going to be criticized. Jesus was. Isn't it interesting that the Pharisees knew what Zacchaeus was? They knew who he was. They knew he was a sinner. Because there in verse 7 it says, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. They knew Zacchaeus was a sinner. But Jesus was the only one who had a passion to do something about it. They never thought to bring this man to a closer relationship with God. And so what Jesus says down in verse 10 is a response to verse to the criticism of verse 7 so go down to verse 10 he says Jesus does for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And so Jesus came to this earth to search and to, on a search and rescue mission. His passion can be summed up in those five words to seek and to save. To seek and to save. What motivated Jesus? Think about it. What motivated Jesus to leave heaven? What was it that motivated Jesus to take on human flesh, to endure the ridicule of his own creation, to die the the horrible, agonizing, shameful death of a common criminal on a cross, to experience that complete separation from his Father when he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, the answer is found there in Luke 19.10. Why did he do all of that? Because he came to seek and to save the lost. We know that Zacchaeus found Jesus because Jesus sought Zacchaeus. It was Jesus who left heaven to come to earth where Zacchaeus existed. It was Jesus who came to the very town where Zacchaeus worked. It was Jesus who came to that very street that that Zacchaeus walked on. It was Jesus who came to the very tree that Zacchaeus had climbed. It was Jesus who came to the home where Zacchaeus lived. Here's the second thing I want you to take home with you tonight. If you don't get anything else, know this, that your example matters more than you could ever imagine. The example of Jesus Christ mattered more than you could ever imagine. Jesus came, and Jesus lived, and Jesus died because he had a passion to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his passion then, and that's his passion now. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 and verse 15 says that the first act of his public ministry was to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Look at what the verses say. And after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So this is after John the Baptist had been arrested. He comes proclaiming the gospel of God. So the very first thing Jesus does in beginning his ministry... Wasn't the miracle at, at Canaan at the wedding feast. That was his first miracle. But he begins his ministry pre- proclaiming the gospel of God and saying in verse 15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that was his first act of his ministry. What was his last act? The last act of his public ministry was to seek and to save a dying thief on a cross next to him. Think about that. That was his last act that he did on the cross, saving that lost thief. I say again, his passion ought to be our passion. The same reason Jesus came into this world is the same reason God brought you into his kingdom. The same reason Jesus died for the church and bought the church with his own blood and builds the church up with his own Holy Spirit is that the church might also seek and save that which is lost. That is to be our passion. That is to be our passion as individuals. That is to be our passion as a church is to seek and to save that which is lost. That passion is to motivate all that we do in the church. And if we ever lose that passion, we may as well shut the doors, turn out the lights, and go home. When you think about passion, I can't help but think as we're thinking of the game here tonight even. You think about it, I thought about a story of a quarterback years ago who played for Georgia Tech. It was back in the days when Bobby Dodd was the head coach, and Uh, Georgia Tech was on the opponent's four-yard line. They were ahead by a field goal. There was only a few seconds left on the clock, and Coach Dodd decided to send in a second-string quarterback who had never played, just so he could say that he played in a football game. He ordered him simply to fall on the football so the clock would run out. Well, when this second-string quarterback came to the line. He thought he saw an opening where a touchdown could be scored, and he changed the play. He went back to pass, and when he threw the pass, it was an interception and was caught by the fastest man on the other team. This man was roaring down the field, being chased by the entire team, including this quarterback who happened to be one of the slowest players on Georgia Tech's team bobby dodd watched in horror and shock as it appeared as if the game was certainly going to be lost and all of a sudden out of nowhere just before this player reached the goal line to score the winning touchdown he was caught from behind by this slow running quarterback bobby dodd absolutely couldn't believe it when the reporters after the game were interviewing the quarterback one of the reporters said, that's going to go down as one of the greatest plays in history. You're one of the slowest players on Georgia Tech's team, and yet you chase down the fastest player on the other team. They said, how did you do it? And the young man simply replied this. He said, oh, that's easy. He said, that player was running for a touchdown. I was running for my life. That's passion." We ought to have greater passion than that because we're not running for the goal of an earthly touchdown we're running for the reward of the lord jesus christ who said that we are to seek and to save that which was lost and that is to be our passion so remember those two things i told you earlier don't let the stuff That you have, like it did for Zacchaeus before in his life. Don't let the stuff you have rob you of the life you want. And then remember your example matters more than you could ever imagine. Jesus' example had an eternal impact on Zacchaeus. Jesus said, Salvation has come to your house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage tonight. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the passion that we need to have in our own hearts and in our own lives. Lord, so often, even as believers, somewhere along the way we lose our focus. We forget what is the most important things for us to do. And we begin thinking about our own agenda. We begin thinking about what we want to do, how we want to live life, the things we want to do in life. Instead of consulting you and talking to you, Lord, what do you want me to do? Instead of having the passion that Jesus had to seek and to save that which is lost. And so, Father, I pray that you'll begin to do a transformation in our hearts and in our lives as a church, And as individuals to give us a passion, Lord, to seek and to save those who are lost. That in everything we do in our lives, whether it's at our job or whether it's at school or whether it's in the community, wherever we may go, that we will show Jesus Christ in the example that we live so that it creates a hunger and a thirst in people's hearts that I want what that person has. Lord, I pray tonight that you would stir our hearts to a deeper passion for you, to love you, God, to fall in love with you deeper than we ever have before. And, Father, I pray that if there is even one who's here tonight or one who's watching online who has never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, Lord, may they call out to you tonight and just say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, just like Zacchaeus did. And, Lord, I pray that they would repent of their sin and and acknowledge that they believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, arose on the third day, and they would invite you to come into their heart and to save them and to help them to live for you all the days of their life. Lord, I pray if they have prayed something like that in their hearts tonight, whether they're online, if they'll just comment there and let us know so we can follow up with them, or if there's someone here in our service who needs to do that, Lord, that they would come in this time of invitation. Lord, you may be stirring the hearts of others for other decisions, but we just pray, God, that you will stir a passion in our hearts greater than any football game we would ever watch or attend. Father, that we would have a passion and an excitement about what you want to do in our lives and about seeing souls in eternity. That's what matters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen the mic come and lead us in our hymn of invitation number 307 would you stand as we sing tonight and would you come as the lord lays on your heart
1: just as i
0: Thank you so much for joining with us tonight online. Thank you for being here in person. We'll be back this Wednesday night. We have a wana uh, that begins at 5:30, and then we have our worship service uh, and prayer time uh, that will begin at 6 o'clock. So you come and join us if you can in person or join us there online if you can. But you be careful. Have a safe week. We'll see you this coming Wednesday at 5:30 for a wana, six o'clock for worship. You have a blessed week.